All right, welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets. Uh, we're into our last episode, Buckets of 2021, um, which has been a big year. How are you, my friend? Yes, going well. You're right, it has been another big year. We thought uh, 2021 would be a little less COVID impacted, but that hasn't been the case. So we'll uh, keep pushing on and see what 2022 brings us. But it's uh, it's been a good year. It's been a fun year, uh, but also a lot of challenges along the way. Well, we're, we're going to finish the year on a, on a on a high because we've got some very, very good questions come through in our mailbag. Um, so shout out to, I think we had about 12 uh, questions total. I chose the best eight. So apologies to those yeah, other four absolutely. that didn't, didn't quite make the cut, but please send them in <laughs> next time. And questions, really. we'll, we'll do our best to answer them. Uh, but before we dive in, and it, much to your disappointment, we, we've got to talk about Patty on Christmas Day. We have to talk about Patty <sighs> on Christmas Day. 34 points, eight triples, a Christmas Day record, uh, seven dimes. And Lakers nearly came back and, and ruined it all. But again, he just hit timely shots down the stretch and they got the W. It's just, it's so conflicting. Like going from <laughs> just being all up in his corner during the Olympics and wanting the best from him and still wanting him to play well at Brooklyn. But that Christmas Day was very bittersweet for me, especially in that fourth quarter. Yeah, uh, as you say, he just would hit timely shots, and you know, you would hope that you know the mystique of LeBron James at Staples Center or Crypto.com Center that it is now would have got them over the line. But Paddy just it reminded me very much of the 2014 finals, where you know one side of you is very happy for Paddy, but the other side is like, oh, why do you keep doing this to us? So yeah, very bittersweet for me. That that was definitely Boomer's Paddy out there, wasn't it? Just knocking everything down, carrying that team on his shoulders. And the, the amount of shots that was like, here come the Lakers, here come the Lakers, boom, Paddy three. It's just like, ah, oh. and then boom, Paddy three. Yeah. And, and the then fact that he's Russ's little bunny late, Russ's little bunny yeah. late that hit the block by the rim, that's always a, a tough thing at a crucial moment. He's just, he missed 11 shots in the restricted area in that game. Like, yeah, I know the NBA is hard, but 11 shots in the restricted area. I just, I don't know what's going on there. Yep. Yep. Well, I got the other way now. So that's, that's, there is one Lakers question, but aside from that, the Lakers talk is, is <laughs> we'll just, we'll just pause there. We'll put that to bed. We'll, uh, we'll let that ship go. I must say it's as, as hard as it is. I'm going to go down with the ship. I won't be jumping off and then LeBron's still playing at a, extremely high oh. level but i'm just I'm, I'm going down with the ship it's it's depressing and it's hard to watch at times but i'm gonna go down with the ship i feel yeah I've, I've been there the last like on my entire life pretty much but <laughs> <laughs> it is it, it it is amazing how much it affects your mood like yes. when, when your team just doesn't play well and probably even more so with the lakers because the talent is there. That's you know what I mean. Like it's it's not like they just don't have the, the players on the on the court. They do. Yes. The the expo the expectation was so high and they're delivering so low. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. All right, let's let's dive into mailbag. Uh, question yep. one, really good question about an Aussie. Uh, what is Josh Giddy's ceiling? Um, and if you had to compare him to a past or current player. Who would you compare him to? Yeah, so you would never want to jump too early because obviously he's only in his first season, 30 games into his NBA career. Um, but 
for me, his ceiling is is all, absolutely an all star and, and a multiple year all star, and that, that's a big call thirty games into his NBA career. But the style of play that he has, and the fact that he he's long and he's tall, is perfect for today's game. So it's not that the game's going to move past him. He's and you can see he's he's almost playing better here than what he was in the NBL because of the style that the NBA plays with. More space, more one-on-one pick and roll, all that sort of stuff seems to be suiting his game more than the zone and the congestion of the NBL game. So for me, his, his ceiling is absolutely multiple-year all-star. And if I had to compare him to a player, and you hate to do Aussie and Aussie, but it's it's Ben Simmons in terms of his style of play and how he can affect the game in so many different ways. Now, his defense is not a lick on what Ben Simmons is at this stage of his career, but certainly on the offensive side, we can see he's already at that nearly 11 points a game, seven rebounds, seven assists, which is what someone like a Ben Simmons gives you. And being that long, um, tall point guard type of player, to me, that's that's the way I the, the way I see him. And um, you know, you just hope that he's going to continue to get that kind of um, opportunity at a team like OKC, so that he can continue to develop and and really reach that ceiling of being an All Star caliber player. Where do you sort of see him um, and his career? Obviously, only thirty games in. Yeah, you're right. The the, the caveat is 30, 30 games in, but. I agree with the all-star thing. I, I, I think he could potentially be a player to average a triple-double in a season. Yeah. I really do because he's got that sort of it, – it'd be more a um, uh, a Jason Kidd type triple-double, sort of your 10-10-10. Um, and, and funnily enough, that's my that's my comparison for him. Just like <laughs> like a taller a taller Jason Kidd because he's not the most athletic bloke, neither was Jason Kidd. Um, yeah. But their ability to, to read the game – um, and he's got that passing ability. You're right of a, of a Ben Simmons, or um, yeah, he's, he's got that that special passing ability. Um, so for me, again, 30 games in, but I could see him being multi-time All Star, really pushing a a season where he averages a triple double. Um, and what a what an awesome thing for um, for Australia and for him. And I've got people I work with who never don't watch basketball unless it happens to be on TV, and they're like, how do I like how do you watch basketball so I can watch this Josh Giddy that, you know, that everyone's talking about. So that's pretty cool when you've got people in that boat who, you know, he's actually bringing more people to the more, more Australian fans to watch just because they love the way that he goes about it. And the media over here makes it sound like he's going to be the MVP of the season, which is <laughs> not going to happen, but Hey, you know, it's more publicity for him and for the league. Yeah, absolutely. I love seeing the Australian headlines. There was one, I think, when he had his first triple-double and it was because he, I think he did it younger than LeBron. And so there was this, yeah, the headline was Josh Giddy breaks LeBron James's record. So it makes it sound like this is an amazing thing, which is you know, no mean feat. But uh, yeah, we certainly uh, pump up our stars. And as you say, it's, it, it cannot be a bad thing for Australian basketball, bringing that interest and having guys doing so well at such a young age too in the NBA. Our Paris team is looking very nice oh, at this yeah. stage. So. Um, got- I want to ask you this second um, this second question because I think you're more well-placed than anybody to answer this question. And why is DeMar DeRozan playing so well for the Bulls? And on top of that, is this level of play sustainable for the rest of the year? Yeah, I love this question when it came in. I was pretty pumped. <laughs> um, 
I think Demar is playing this well because he's got the key, the full keys to um, the the Bulls' offense. Um, and as we know, the NBA is a lot about opportunity. Um, it's a lot about who sacrifices, who doesn't, you know, things like that. Like there's a lot of guys who um, go from being sort of a role player on one team to like a, a really like a, either a far better role player or even a star on other teams just based on opportunity itself. Um, and I think Billy Donovan has basically said, Demar, we want you to be 100% of you. Um, so that's number one. That's I, 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 You can't look past the fact that the Bulls are playing through him um, and having Zach Levine off the ball a lot more. And I think that works because DeMar's obviously better in the mid-range and Zach's obviously better, or not better, but he can he can shoot the three-ball better. Um, so that that one too works. Um, but the second one is, I think he gets to his spots in the mid-range as good as anyone in the NBA. Um, like a guy like KD can get to his spots. A guy like CP3 can get to that, you know, that mid-range spot where he loves it sort of at, at the elbow or even a bit deeper and then sort of fade. Um, and DeMar, the more he talks about um, why, why he's so good in that area is he's just like, it doesn't really matter what the defense does. I, I practice getting to those spots over and over and over again. So for me, it's just like, just, you know, mechanics, get to the, get to that elbow, you know, take a sidestep, pull up, you know, cash. So um, yeah, he, he's, he's surprised me in terms of, um, uh, just how like much he can carry the load, but also play within the flow of the offense. Um, because I did think it might be a little bit of your turn, my turn between him and Zach, but it's not that at all. And I've got to give credit to, to Billy Donovan as well. And even Zach for being able to sacrifice to allow him to do it. Um, but he's been, he's been sensational and is it sustainable? I think the answer is yes, because, because we're not playing your turn, my turn, because he's not suddenly hitting five threes a game, which he never has in his career. He's doing what he's always done in his career. He's just got, and this is no, absolutely no disrespect to, to Kyle Lowry because I love him, but he's never played with a Zach Levine. He's never played with a, a Vucevic um, who can space the floor to give him room to operate in that middle sort of area. So for me, because he's not doing what he hasn't already always done, um, I think it is it is sustainable. Maybe not to the to the highest of level that it is because his shooting splits are ridiculous, but um, I definitely think it's it's something that that he can keep a a, a decent level at um, for the remainder of the season. And he's not having to carry a massive load by himself like he was at San Antonio or even like he was at um, uh, at Toronto. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's he's he's been playing unreal, and I I do think it's sustainable. But I'm probably a little bit biased, so I'd like to to get your thoughts on that one. Well, from what I've seen, and and mostly of what I've seen was the two games of played against the Lakers, and he's just given us the business. And it just to me was frustrating because it's like you weren't doing this in Toronto. You weren't doing this in San Antonio. How is it now that you're putting up 35 plus on the Lakers every time we seem to see you? So, you know, do I think it's sustainable? No, but I, as I said, my sample size is so much smaller. You're going to be in a far better position. And their record speaks for itself. You know, what is he? I think he's fourth or third in the league in scoring. Like, you know, you can't argue with that. It's a, it's a we're a quarter of the way through the season, so 
that's a good sample size to be, you know, on the top five in the league in scoring. You know, time will tell once we get to trade deadline and into that back half of the year. But, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. He's he's doing what what he wants to do. And I just hope we never have to see the Bulls ever again because he just tortures us every time. <laughs> I think I think there's a little bit of I'll go to the next question shortly, but I think there's a little bit of uh there was interest between him and the Lakers. And I think he got a little bit annoyed that the Lakers didn't bring him home or near his home. Um, so I think we'll it's like, go, we'll go give you the business. <laughs> All right, question three, and this is this is the Lakers one. Um, what's one realistic trade you think would either turn the Lakers around or at least significantly help? Um, now, there's probably more than one, but where do you sort of sit if there was just one? Well, the, the hard part about it is that word realistic. Because there's trades out there that would significantly change things. And, and they're where you talk about names like Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, uh, Eric Gordon, these type of guys that would be able to space the floor. Because that's we keep coming back to that, that we don't have enough shooting or players to space, space the floor, which we know that that's when LeBron James teams are at their best, when you've got guys out there able to space. So those guys that I mentioned all would be able to do that. So it would change things significantly, especially when Anthony Davis comes back from injury. But the problem is none of those are realistic with the current contracts we have. You know, you've got, and and it's, I feel sorry for Russ because he's getting killed in the media, mm. but it's an, and you like to say, there's no contract that's untradeable, but he's as, as untradeable contract as you could possibly get in the league, I reckon, outside of Luel Dane's contract, he still, still gets paid. So <laughs> the realistic part is very, very hard to do um, because they already did the John Wall trade. So you're not going to be able to trade Russell for West, um, for Wall. So, but those are the three guys and, and I'd throw Ben Simmons in there too if they were able to pull that off um, just in terms of the way he plays. You just would mean that LeBron could play off the ball so much more and he wouldn't have to be carrying the load that he's carrying right now because no one can, can create for the rest of the guys at a high enough level, especially when Rondo's out and he's showing his age because Russell Westbrook, who's supposed to be able to do that, is just not. He's turning the ball over far too much. Um, they're the four guys that would, but none of those are realistic with the contracts we have at the moment. Yeah, I, was, I, I agree. I was mucking around with the um, the trade machine uh, when this question came in to see if I could sort of find something that worked um, salary-wise and sort of made sense for for the teams. Um, and it was, it was quite a challenge just because of the size of Russ's contract. And if you're not, say, giving up Russ, you're giving up THT, who I think is... 15th of January, I think, is when he's can be traded. He can't be before then. You look at Kendrick Nunn, you've obviously got your 2027, 20, I think, he's your next first round pick. So uh, it's a bit, it's a bit t- hard. Um, one, one thing I, I would like to see, and I think, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on a previous pod or just um, talking, but if they could somehow get their hands on Eric Gordon, would be huge for them. Probably more buyout likely because I can't see Houston, why, if you're Houston, why would you want to keep him when he increases your chances of winning when you're not wanting to win, you know? Um, yes. So he, he's, or, or if they do want to get him, I think he's on about 16 mil a year. 
Um, you've then got to get creative and, and get a third team in, you know, and do one of those sort of more complex ones. I was just going straight two teams because as soon as you start to get three teams in, um, it's it's quite challenging. Um, and the only, only other thing I potentially thought of, and I don't even know how feasible it is, but if, if somehow Russ could go to the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Um, New York is the only team that I could sort of see being like, let's get Russ in here. You know, he, he can have the ball in his hands. And if you get Kemba and, other, I don't know, other pieces back somehow along the lines, at least Kemba can play off ball because he can shoot, um, which, you know, is obviously something that, that Russ doesn't do well. But again, it's how does that all work from a money standpoint is, is going to be a challenge, I think, no matter what. Yeah, I, and- I, I really think the buyout is, is going to be the way that the Lakers can hopefully um, help, strengthen, help strengthen their roster because... You'd have to think, even though as much as they've struggled, they're still in the playoff picture. It's still LA. If guys are getting bought out, you'd have to think that'd be an attractive place to to jump on board sort of later on in the track. Yeah, and, and you're right about the landing spot for us in terms of New York being the most likely one just because it is New York City. They potentially want a marquee guy to fill the stands, not that they don't fill the stands anyway. But to me, bringing a guy like Kemba over doesn't significantly change the Lakers' troubles. That's true, because um, the defensive end's terrible. <laughs> that's right. So it would be it'd be the most likely way to get Russ out, but I don't think it changes our fortunes much at all. We really need a guy that can really dominate from outside the three-point line at a consistent rate. A couple of other guys I'll just throw in just for the sake of it. Again, not sure about how money would work, but I think a guy like either Robert Covington or Jeremy Grant would help the Lakers significantly because Church they can yep. they can play the four, they can play small ball five, you know, or or like I think LeBron played a bit of small ball five um, recently. So um, last two games, yeah, they could yeah they could do that and they can shoot, you know. So it's a, it's you sort of get a bit of a three and a D type person and they're long and so they sort of do help because as we spoke about in the past, the Lakers it's not like they're good on one side of the four, they're struggling on both. So three yes. and D guys are so valuable. Um, and it would help them so much. But again, it's just a matter of how it works and what, what do the teams want in return? Um, and if you're the Lakers, do, do you really move that 2027 pick and then just have nothing for you know, the rest of the 2020s pretty much? I, th- I think you're all in. Like you, 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 you've just you got to go now, I think. You've, you've, you've sold the farm. Um, with AD, like you put the eggs in those baskets and rightly so. If I was a GM of a franchise, I would do the same thing to get a guy like Anthony Davis. You can't go, it, it, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound in my case. You've, you, why, why have a pick in 2027? Mm. You know, we're 2021 going to 2022. You've got LeBron James for two, three years tops, you would think. You know, we all talk about the decline that doesn't seem to be happening, but why you've got him and why you went and sold everything to get Anthony Davis. You've just got to continue to keep going all in. And the Lakers are a franchise, I think, that can do that. They're a big enough market and attraction to free agents that they don't need to build through the draft. So why keep it in your your pocket if someone's asking for it, if you can make a move to turn this thing around this year? Just quickly before we move on, do you reckon that this whole... COVID thing, health and safety protocols, 10-day contracts, et cetera. Do you reckon this is significantly going to hurt the trade, uh, the trades, in-season trades, because the guys might not be available? You know what I mean? Like it is because from the 15th of December, there people, some players were eligible and there's been just no talk, just like dead silence mm-hmm. because teams are just trying to get by. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's this this and it's almost like that first sort of month to six weeks when things happen with COVID, where it's that real feeling out process. Like there's everyone's just scrambling to work out. Okay, are restrictions going to come in? Are new rules coming in? Obviously, we've got all the protocol happening at the moment with so many guys being in. The NBA is talking about changing the amount of time that you have to be in protocol. They're just picking guys out just to field sides and, and get teams out on the court. So I think that's what's happened, why we haven't sort of heard anything. I think it's going to take probably until through January until we really get a picture of how things are going. Does this shortened time frame of protocol mean guys are more accessible, more available? Do less guys go into protocol because so many have already been through it and they start to get boosters and different things like that? So. I think we're just in that feeling out, scrambling process that happens when new variants come out. And we'll see as we get to the back end of January, the pitch is a bit clearer. And then we'll start to see a bit more movement, I think. Very good. This, this next one's a good one for you because he was your pick uh, for six men. And I thought it was a funny question. Should betting companies pay out for Tyler Hero to win the sixth man already? Well, if you've got money on him, absolutely they should. <laughs> uh, but if you're the betting company, they wouldn't. Um, yeah, we keep saying we're 30 games into the NBA season, a quarter of the way through. We have no idea what's happening with COVID and protocols and everything like that. Uh, but he's clearly the the out oh, yeah. the out and out favourite at the moment. He's up five and a half points a game, shooting near forty five percent from three and fifty percent from two. You know his assists, his rebounds are up. Um, you know he's clearly front running right now. But you just never know what's going to happen. Now if we if we get if he's still this far clear cut come All Star break, yes, pay out then. But Right now, if he was to go down with a season-ending injury, there's not enough of a of a sample to be like, yes, he was still sixth man of the year. So, um, yeah, if he, I'm sorry for people that have money on him, and and I'm telling the company not to pay out, but he's <laughs> clearly the front runner. Um, if 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 Paddy Mills was to get his, so he's only at 15 points, so it's 15 to about 21 points a game. So. You know, generally the sixth man goes to the highest scoring player off the bench in most cases. That's why Jamal yep. Crawford um, and Lou Williams Lou will. seem to win it. Um, so that's the only thing hurting Paddy and the fact that he started more than half the games at the moment. But if Paddy Mills was to get to, say, 17, 18, maybe 19 points a game because he's shooting damn near 50% from three, there would be those two for me um, would be right neck and neck. So, yeah, let's see. Let's get to all-star break and see where we sit. I like it. That's pretty much what I had here as well. My only dark dark horse was Paddy. And also for the flip reason of what happens if Tyler Hero has, ends up starting a heap of games because of, you know, he's already started a few. I don't know what his, what his ratio is, but. We started seven at this stage. Okay. So it's a seven. Okay. Yeah. Um, because he's, he's been unreal. Like he's, He's been the Tyler hero we expected to see um, coming out of the bubble. Um, yep. And then he obviously had a bit of a down year and now he's every bit that guy and more. Um, it's going to be huge for them um, with, with their push. And I did also say just to, just to boost him that um, Miami have the easiest remaining schedule in the league. So that's only going to help him get those numbers up. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know the Lakers had that? <laughs> I think they're still one or two at the top, oh, yeah. unfortunately. 
<laughs> wouldn't matter. You could have the easy schedule. We'd still make it hard. <laughs> uh, question five. Who is a guy that not many people talk about, but you just really enjoy watching them play? Yeah, so I had, I had two for this, and, and one's an all-star, so, you know, more people would like to him, but the other one's certainly not. The first one's Jimmy Butler, um, just because he's a no-fuss, no-nonsense type of player. You don't see him carrying on to the refs and flopping around and this, that, and the other. He just plays good, solid basketball, plays team basketball, plays defense on every possession. So I love watching that. He doesn't... You know, the antics of some of the NBA guys can get frustrating at times. You love a guy that just goes out, plays the game the right way without the antics and plays solid defense. And the other guy is PJ Tucker. And it's because of the defensive side of the game. What I hate to see is when you're guarding a great player, you are never going to stop them scoring because they are that good at it. All you're trying to do is make it as difficult as possible for them to score and make and not give away anything cheap. So don't bail them out with a foul. Don't lose concentration and give them an easy bucket. Um, don't get frustrated so that they can see that they've got you and they get confidence from that. Just play good, strong, solid basketball on every possession. And if they score, don't get down. Don't complain to the refs. Just you know have no reaction and just run back up the court. Be like, they're a good player. That was a tough shot. Good on you. Watching him guard Kevin Durant in the semifinals in the playoffs last year, that's exactly what good defenders should do. Kevin Durant was still balling, averaging near 35 points a game. You never saw PJ get down himself. He would hit a tough three over a contested hand, wouldn't bail him out with a foul, and then he wouldn't complain or wouldn't get down. He would just, yep, good shot, and just run back up the court. And you don't see that enough with guys. They either get frustrated that they're scoring, they complain to the refs, or they start bailing him out with cheap fouls because they think, well, I need to block this shot because he's scoring if I just have a hand up. No, just keep getting a hand up. If he hits it over your hand and you play good solid defense, you just clap and just go up the other end. I like it. I like it a lot. He's, as I think I've said before in this pod, that he's like the most important zero point per game scorer, maybe in the league. Yes. Because he can have yeah. zero points on zero field goal attempts and have such a massive impact on winning. Like yes. huge. Um, he's actually, I've got two as well because I couldn't split them. Um, the first one is, and you, most people probably don't even know who he plays for, but Royce O'Neal of the Utah Jazz. And for the same reasons, for the same reasons as PJ Tucker, he's a defensive perimeter defensive like menace, Um, and he's just no fuss. I love listening to him talk because he's just he sees the game in such a simple way. He's all about defense, um, and and he's he he believes that it's so much of it is just effort um, and just just working so hard on that end. And he's like, that's what separates the elite from from the mid on, on, in the NBA on defense is just the effort because most of these guys have to carry a load on the other end. He doesn't have to, obviously he's got Donovan and, and um, other guys there in, in Utah. Um, but then he can hit an open three um, and he's always down on himself when he's let a teammate down. Like he's, he constantly talks about, Oh, you know, I, I miss that, that coverage. So I let, I miss rotating there. So I let that guy down. And I just love that sort of that, that team first team last sort of mindset. And thirdly with him, because he, he's just, feels like he's so lucky 
to be in the NBA. So he, he doesn't, there's zero ego because he's like, I'm just so lucky to get up and do this every single day. Um, so there you go. If, anybody, if anybody's never heard of Royce O'Neal, don't go look at his stats because you won't find much. <laughs> um, but next time you watch a Jazz play, and the re- it's one of the reasons why he's in the starting lineup too, because they can let Donovan worry about offense and he can just be the other backcourt guy, you know, guarding the team's best player. Um, it has such an impact on that end. And the second one, and this is more, this is NBA as well, but more international um, as well. And it's it's come off. Um, I actually thought of this when the question came in, but then he tore his ACL yesterday and that's Ricky Rubio. I don't know why. I just love watching Ricky Rubio play basketball, whether it's for Spain or wherever he is in the NBA. Um, because he just, the way he moves out there, he, he's not the most athletic bloke. He's got a weird looking jump shot. But then you look down at the stat line, he's near a triple double, like nearly every game. Like he just, and I think it shouldn't be underestimated his impact on um, the Cavs this year and just how well they've gone. Um, so yeah, Rubio's the one for me. And unfortunately, as I said, he's done his ACL on the same knee for a second time, nearly 10 years apart. It's like nine, I think I saw somewhere it's like nine, nine and three quarter years since he did his last one on the same knee. So pretty, pretty unfortunate there, particularly because he's getting towards that that other end of his career, you know, so he's no longer, you know, bounce back the older you get um, when you get to that age. So, uh, but yeah, I just love watching, love watching Rubio play. Back to our boys. And it was also awesome to get um, uh, a lot of Australian NBA questions come in. Um, Jock Landale, does Jock Landale deserve more minutes? What is his potential and how high is his ceiling? Now, this one's probably even harder to do than Giddy because he hasn't played a lot. So yeah, what do you think about it's, Jock? Well, it's almost impossible, isn't it? Because this is his first NBA season. As you say, he's very limited in what we're seeing. And in a season where you know, generally he's been getting minutes because of things like health and safety protocols, so who's available on the roster, who are they playing on the other end, junk minutes, that that kind of thing. So in terms of knowing what his ceiling is and his potential, it's really, you know, you could throw anything out there and you've got every chance of being right. So um, that's difficult. In terms of does he deserve more minutes, in terms of his play when he's out there, you'd have to say absolutely because his, his PER is off the charts mm. um, and his, his stats per 36 minutes are off the charts as well. But that can be very deceiving in terms of, you know, the time of game that you're playing in. Exactly. Like, so if you go out and you score two points in the last 30 seconds of junk time, your per 36 is going to be off the charts because you scored two points and only played 30 seconds. So that can be a bit misleading, but you can't, you can't fault what he's done when he has been out there. He's playing hard and he's, he's putting up good numbers, shooting, you know, nearly 70% from the field. But it's just such a small sample size. And without being in the organisation and understanding what they are trying to achieve, to answer the question, does he deserve more, is, is hard. Because, you know, as we can see with a team like Houston, as you say, why have Eric Gordon on your team at 33 years of age when he gives you more chance to win when you're clearly trying to get minutes into your young guys and position yourself for the best chance in the lottery? So, you know, what are the Spurs trying to achieve you know, does Jock fit into that? And that's why Giddy's so lucky being in Oklahoma. You know, they're a young rebuilding team. So he's giving get given all kinds of opportunity. 
you know, hopefully Jock can get himself either in San Antonio in a position where they want to develop him and get minutes into him, or he ends up in another franchise that's a better fit that allows him to play more minutes and see exactly what he can do. But yeah, once he's out on the floor, he's doing absolutely everything right. So hopefully he does get an opportunity and we can see just how far he can take it. Yeah, well, I, I agree with a lot of that. He's 26. Um, so he's sort of coming into what most people would say would be the prime of, of his career. He played a bit in Europe before, obviously coming back and playing in the NBL um, and winning a, winning a title last year and, and getting finals MVP. Um, I think you're right. It's very hard to know where he's, what Pop and, and the Spurs are trying to do and we're sort of where he fits there. Um, but I sort of see Jock, if I were to say have a, have a crack or have a stab at sort of where his career could go, I sort of see him as a guy who will play a lot of years in the NBA, but his impact will be quite minimal. But then he'll be one of those guys that gets on the international stage and he's just always solid. You know, those guys who are, that they go back and play for their home team and they're like stars. Paddy's a prime example, but not to that, obviously not to that level because um, he's also, also producing in the, in the NBA. But yeah, for me, I think Jock will be sort of that guy who can come in, give you spot minutes here and there, um, do all the right things. He's a, he's a big guy who can shoot, so he fits the modern the modern big guy. He could, he's stretch four, can play small ball five, which is obviously important. Um, I thought coming into the season, I was like, San Antonio would be perfect for him because they're sort of in no man's land. It'll be awesome to, um, to he'll get plenty of opportunity there, but it hasn't sort of, hasn't worked out as I thought. So um, going back to my answer with Damar and just like you pointed out, opportunity and fit is like three quarters of the battle in the NBA, you know? And, and so it just it remains to be seen um, where and if and when that will come. Um, but I think he's going to be a solid staple in the boomers for a couple more Olympics um, at least. Um, and obviously world cups and things like that. And I just think he'll be, uh, have a, have a lengthy uh, NBA career, even if it is just as a 13, 14, 15th man sort of on a roster um, because of his ability to stretch the floor, get rebounds. And he's, he's a pretty intelligent player as well. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. All right. This is, this is a good one. This one, uh, question seven, everyone debates the greatest player of all time. What is, in your opinion, the greatest team of all time? I think so my, my, answer's ob- yeah. my answer's obvious. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we should be the 96 Bulls. So I'll throw it to you and see what, uh, what you think is the greatest team of all time. Yeah, so to me, the greatest team, you know, you, they're pretty clear cut in terms of there's ones that always come up. So we know the 96 Bulls, 72 and 10, go on to win the championship, Jordan's first full season back. We all, we all know that. Some people will talk about the 86 Celtics um, in terms of being one of the greatest teams of all time. Uh, obviously, Bird, Parrish, McHale, those type of guys back in, in the 80s. Um, you've got the Lakers from, I think it was 71 or 73. I'll have to fact check that. The team that won 33 games in a row um, with Will Chamberlain and Jerry Weston Co. For me, though, the greatest team of all time, just based on pure talent, firepower, offensive and defensive execution, was the 2016-2017 Golden State Warriors. So 
67 and uh, 15 was their record or 16. So um, six wins, obviously less than, than the 73 win team. They go sweep first round, sweep second round, sweep um, Western Conference finals, and then win the title 4-1 against Cleveland. We know Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. You know, so you've got two MVPs, Defensive Player of the Year, um, the, some would say the second greatest shooter of all time in Clay Thompson. They really, when they wanted to, they basically had to play at 70% of their capability and they were beating every single team in the league. As good as LeBron was, they still had Kyrie then and Kevin Love and they wiped them in five games. You know, they just were so good on both ends of the floor. Everyone's going to, you know, look at the offensive side, but their defense was so sound. They had guys coming off the bench in Livingston and Iguodala that could easily be starting for 90% of the league. They just dominated in all facets of the game and unless they had a monumental collapse no team had a chance of beating them in that playoff run which is why they went 16 and 1 which is an NBA record because the 2001 Lakers only played a three game series in the first round so they were 15 and 1 so for me that is the greatest team of all time yeah it's it's it is it is definitely hard to look past them also because we're living in the moment. You know what I mean? Like people who were watched it in the, the Lakers in the 70s and the Celtics in the 80s and and the Bulls in the 90s are like, you know, this is the greatest team ever. But it, as time goes on, it, it, the era changes, you just sort of, and as we know, that sort of Warriors team pretty much changed the NBA. Um, Steph as a player and then the way that they played as a team Um pretty much changed the NBA to every team trying to copy the Golden State Warriors now. Like, that's just the way that it is. Get a heap of shooters out there, get them up, you know, and play sound defense and win titles. Um, so, yeah, good good question there. And the final one, question eight. Um, do you think in the current game, defense or offense wins games? The focus always seems to be on the offensive end, uh, but will the championship team actually be the team who gets the least scored on them or plays the best defense so this is a really good question and we we talk about this a lot in terms of the intricacies of the game so offense obviously is what everyone sees because it sells tickets it's entertaining we all love to see it so Absolutely, in today's game, especially with the, the three-pointer being so valuable that basically a 20-point lead is nothing in today's NBA because of the three-point shot and the volume that teams are shooting and the accuracy that they're shooting at. That. So it absolutely offense wins you games, but defense still wins you championships. And the, you, if you actually watch the playoffs start to finish, you will see the teams that... Uh, in top five defensively are more or less going to be the ones that go deep in the playoffs and the mid-range game becomes so much more important in those games. So we saw that in the finals this year in terms of Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Middleton and Giannis dominating from the mid-range. Yes, they still take a lot of threes, but the defensive end in that mid-range becomes so much more important than it does in the regular season. So for me, the championship is and still always will be the team that plays good, solid defense because it's you, you are so much more likely 
and able to consistently play great defense than you are able to play great offense. We know how good guys like Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, LeBron are on the offensive end. But defense is so much more just effort-based that you can consistently bring that every single night. You are going to have nights where you miss shots. No matter how good you are, we've seen the struggles that Kevin Durant and Steph and LeBron and guys of James Harden have in the playoffs. And they're the best in the world. But you very rarely see teams or, or the media talk about players having defensive slumps and say, well, this guy's had five games where he's played poor defense. And that may be just because they don't cover it, but you can consistently play it more than you can miss shots. And that's why the guys that don't play great defense generally don't have the postseason success that we would expect from a guy of that caliber. Carmelo Anthony is a great example, and we're seeing that in LA still to this day. James Harden. Steph Curry, we've seen him have his struggles in the finals because of the defensive side of the ball. So for me, it's still defense is king for championship caliber teams because it's so much more consistent than the offensive side of the ball. What do you think? Yeah, I echo everything you said. And I'll just, I'll just add that um, we always talk about basketball in the regular season and playoffs being a different, a whole different breed. Um, and I think you can say the exact same thing about this question that offense can win you regular season games. Some teams win bucket loads of regular season games. Then it gets to the playoffs where the game slows down and teams can actually spend more time on you and you only. They're not having to do a different scout for tomorrow's game and the game after that because you're playing a seven game series. It really then stands out. Like when you're just focusing on the one team for a period of time, um, it makes a big difference. You can even see it in the NBA sometimes when they play those back-to-backs against the same team. And they're so much better defensively in the second game because they know what to expect. Um, so it just becomes so much more important to be, to be good on that, on that end. Um, and I think that's why we all love playoff basketball because the score comes down, which I guess people who just love scoring would be disappointed by. But for everyone else, you're like, man, that defensive play sort of, you know, was, was, was it was everything. And and a prime example is um I'm pretty sure it was Drew Holiday stripped Devin Booker in in the playoffs last year at a crucial moment, which could have changed the entire outcome, really. The game was in the balance. And he gets the massive steal, throws the lob to to Giannis and, and that's it. Giannis's block on the or, or sort of tried to block the alley attempt, then gets over and blocks it. Plays like that um are just massive and and go a long way to, to actually winning the whole thing. And as we know, there was a few games there that were in the balance and the defense was was what did it for Milwaukee and they come away and and win the title. Um, and people will say, well, you know, Giannis had 50 in, in the closeout game and things like that. And that's that's all well and good, but you've got to get there first, you know, and, and sometimes then offense can get you over the line. But the defense, as you say, is is the consistent um, that, that will put you in a position to win. And then it's just a matter of whether or not you can execute enough offensively to, um, to get the job done. Uh, but if you're a team... And I, as I get older, I'm enjoying this more. If you're a team that that focuses on that end and is like, just bring defense every single night, offense will take care of itself, you know, but we'll be in the game if we can hold the other team to whatever it might be, you know, scoring-wise or whatever it might be per quarter, um, then we'll be in the game. Whereas if you're just like, let's just try and outscore the other team, you'll have some wins, but you'll have some very big losses when you're just not shooting, having a game where you're just not shooting the ball very well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely... Offense wins games, but defense wins 
wins titles for sure. Um, and I think I hope it stays that way forever and they don't make it too easy for the offense and too hard for the defense because that end of the game, as I get older and wiser, I'm enjoying watching a lot more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I look, I don't think it can change unless you fundamentally change the rules of basketball. I think it will be that because, you know, one of my pet peeves is when you'll talk to some people about basketball and they'll say, you know, X is a great defensive player because he averages you know, a steal and a half uh, a game yeah. and a block a game. And I sort of, I asked them, you know, are you actually watching them or are you just looking at the box score? Because yes, they do that, but I wouldn't call them a great defender because anyone could average a steal and a half if you gamble 90% of the time when you play. So all you have to do is just play the passing lane and gamble every time there's a chance. And eventually you'll get lucky. You'll get one or two steals a game. But what it doesn't take into account is the fact that you gave up 15 points on the other eight times you gambled and gave up easy layups. And the same with blocks. Yeah, you might get one block, but it doesn't show the other five times you gave away fouls and bailed them out on a drive because you're jumping out the gym trying to get the showtime block. So the defensive side that you see when you get to watch playoff series, as you say, game after game, and you see the matchup over and over again, is it's not about stealing the ball and blocking the ball as much as those plays look great. And Giannis and Drew had great plays in the finals that get on all the sports shows, but it's just watching guys that are consistently staying in front of their man, not missing assignments and giving up open threes or open lanes in in and drives that makes you a great championship team because you're not giving up anything cheap you're not giving up any easy baskets that re result in the other team getting momentum you're just playing solo and Matisse Thibel is a great one for that I remember watching him against the Warriors earlier this year and you know the big stat at the end of the game was the first guy to block two of Steph Curry's threes it's like yeah they were two great plays but you didn't see the other 30 minutes where he's chasing him off every screen, fighting over screens and not just giving up the easy switch and just playing solid defense so that Steph didn't get any easy looks at three-pointers. But, you know, that's the stuff that you love to see where it's it's not flashy, but that's what we new games is just not giving up any cheap points. It's, it's the stuff that doesn't show up on the box score, on the defensive end. Like the offensive end will pretty much give you majority of the stuff in a box score. The defensive end will give you barely anything, you know, in, on the box, on the box. And you look at um, James Harden, I'm pretty sure for his career, he averages like 1.5, 1.6 steals a game. James Harden is not a good defensive player, never has been, no. never has been. And it's because he, as you say, gambles a bit or he just has to be, happens to be right place and right time. But if you're going, yeah. I'm going to pick the first 100 defenders in the league, James Harden is not in the top 100 defenders in the league. Like, yeah. Not at all. He's not in the top 1,000 defenders. <laughs> and that's what happens when then come the big games and not shooting the ball well, he's not affecting the game. And that's where his playoff struggles have happened. You, To me, you always, especially in the biggest of games, like guys always would say how nervous they are going into games and things like that. And I would just always say to younger guys coming up, just focus on the defense. Just bring effort, being great effort. Everything else will happen. If you, you know, if you go one for five or one for 10, don't worry about that. Just bring great effort and play great defense 
and just let that take the nerves away. Just focus on that. Don't focus on having to score 30 points because if you're thinking I've got to go out and score 30 and you miss your first four shots, you know, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a bad game. Like I've missed four easy wide open looks. I'm supposed to be scoring 30 out here. What's going on? Whereas if you just go out and say, okay, I'm just going to stop my man from getting anything easy. I'm going to give great effort on that end of the floor. And if I score, great. And it takes all that nerves away. Yeah, completely agree. It was actually a, a good example of that was earlier this season. Um, uh, Big Vooch was struggling offensively. And he started to get it going again. And, and one of the, one of the um, reporters asked him sort of, um, sort of what changed. And he said, Billy Donovan came to me and said, you're taking the right shots. I don't care that you're missing them. You're taking the right shots. What I'm disappointed in is you're letting misses affect you on the other end. If you just focus on bringing the effort and energy on that end, these shots will fall because they're, you know, they are good shots. You're taking good shots. You can't control where they always go in or not because you put the work in, you then live with the results. And he's like, as soon as I started to focus to, no, no, just do everything I can on the defensive end, those shots will fall. He's like, I felt so much more free on the offensive end. And it was like a weight was off my shoulders because I was changed my mindset from I've got to go out and score 15, 20 points a game to help this team win to I could score two points and this team could win. You know, if I'm, if I'm helping protect the rim at the other end. Um, so it's, it's, it, and it happens at every level of basketball, like from, from your juniors all the way up to, to the elite levels. It's, it's such an important um, part of the game. And as you say, it's not necessarily the, the sexy stuff or what sells tickets, but for, uh, for people who really love the game of basketball, they love the defensive end for sure. For sure. All right. Well, that's our eight questions. Was there anything from you before we wrap up the last one of 2021? No, just 2021 has been a big year. And as I said at the start, that as much as I want to jump off LeBron and the Lakers because it's, it's killing me emotionally, I'll go into 2021 on the same boat. And if it sinks, it sinks, but I'm still holding out hope. If, if, if any player that I've ever watched in my lifetime can turn this around and have a real run at making the finals, it's LeBron James. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's, got, it's got to hang in there. Just got to hang in there. Yeah. Stay in that, in that six, you know, stay six or higher. Don't, don't put yourself in a playing situation. <laughs> no. And then anything can happen. Just got to get there. That's right. Just got to get it. there. A new year, a new me, as they say. That's right. That's right. And we <laughs> we will be back in 2022 with more uh, episodes. And yeah, if anyone's got any questions as they listen to this that they want to fire in, please do so. And we can we can throw a few in them, few into the episodes coming up, or or keep doing uh, mailbag episodes um, as well. So we'll wrap it there, buckets, and uh, I will talk to you soon.